In this episode of 92i Talks, actor Dev Patel discusses his role in one of the most anticipated releases of the year, Lion, with Real Pieces moderator Annette Insdorf. The conversation was recorded on November 21st, 2016, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Well, a very warm welcome to Dev Patel, and congratulations, because it's not every year that one has two films in which an actor can truly exhibit his craft and his heart. And I believe that is the case this year. (laughs) So... We're going to start with a few questions about Lion, obviously, and then I have a few questions about your career. Young as you may be, you've already done some great work, (laughs) and we will take a few questions from the audience as well. Awesome. So, um, I guess the beginning for me is indeed how you got involved in this particular project. Um, What did you hear about it and try to get seen for the part, or was there an agent, the director was, I don't know. (laughs) I read about the story uh, in a newspaper and I was completely blown away that this could actually happen. You know, it's literally things of which movies are made for. And I, I told my agency, I was like, if there's anything happening, I want to be there. And I ended up knocking on Luke and Garth's door, which is a writer and director, and, uh, you know, for this meeting, which I realized was way too premature because they had this whiteboard next to them with all these post-it notes. And they hadn't even begun writing the first act, and I'm there trying to pitch myself for this role. Um, and uh, they're like, you know, you seem like a really sweet guy, but you're going to have to get in, in line to audition. And, uh, you know, Garth had his reservations because uh, it's kind of the... When your resume works against you, it's very interesting because you become an obvious choice. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I sat there and I was like, God, I, I really want to be able to transform for this. So, you know, I got put through the ringer and I, I Skyped with him from my bathroom in LA because that's the best uh, reception. And uh, <laughs> then I went on to do a, a, ta- a taping and then I auditioned for him. The last audition was like six hours long before. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and did you even for the audition process, start working on the Australian accent. And it's it's even specific to the island of Tasmania. It's not just Australian, if I understand correctly. Or did that happen after you got the part? Well, I tried to consume as much as Saru as I could. And I was shooting a film with Jeremy Irons called The Man Who Knew Infinity. So I've been working on this. ah. (laughs) One person saw it. Amazing. Uh, and, um, it's on DVD, you can get it from Netflix, yeah. a lot more people will see it okay. this weekend. Um, and I was working on this Indian accent for the longest time, and then they're like, Garth is going to see you in a week. And I was like, oh man, I'm just about to start production on this film, I'm nervous about meeting Jeremy, uh, but you have to grab the bull by the horns. So I, I watched as much as I could. The great thing about Saru is he's a wonderful public speaker. So he's got a lot of, inf- you know, kind of talks on Google and things like that on YouTube. So I just watched everything I could, and I went in and uh, threw my hat in the ring. And it was a wonderful kind of... Garth is, uh, is all about atmosphere and exploration. And together we looked at pictures of Saru's past and ran through all the scenes. And the last thing he told me to do was raw. At five and a half hours in, I'm completely exhausted. And he goes, before you leave... I just want you to scream. And I, I'm going to put some music on. And there was this song that I was listening to on the way to the audition to calm my nerves uh, by Gustavo Santonella 
from uh, Babel. I'm pronouncing his second yes, name. Yes, Babel. Uh, Babel, in, sorry. In um, and, uh, sorry, I'm nervous, but uh, uh, he, it's called Deportation. It's a beautiful strings kind of piece. And I was listening to that on the way in, and then he put that exact same song on. And there was like this serendipity. And together, we went on this journey, and he was talking to me about, okay, now you can feel her. You can feel your mother now. I want you to scream and let it all go, that burden, that history. And, you know, I've just met this guy. It's a lot to do. Um, but uh, it was really, really amazing. It was more about being able to submit yourself fully to, to, the, to the director. But it sounds to me like there was also already in these initial interchanges something that, I'll, I'm being careful here, I could call spiritual. Yes. I mean, something that transcends the mm. quality of a script, the right actor, the rehearsal, but something, I, I mean, I almost sense it in the film when um, Saru, when you're in front of all those maps that you've yes. put together with the post-its and the pins, and you're like a, a cartographer of memory, mm. you know, a cartographer of the past. And it's clear to me that the character and probably the actor are playing not just the surface text. You have to be animated by something that is pulling you from another space. Yeah, well, as soon as I uh, got the role, we had a discussion about physicality. And uh, the idea was to push me into a performance space that an audience has never seen me in before. So he was like, I want you to grow your hair and I want you to eat like a madman and go to the gym. Because Saru is a very sporty guy. And we, he was trying to build a sort of alpha inside of me. So I would move differently. You know, lots of the roles I've played before, just purely because that's what's out there is a kind of goofy uh, best friend type of character or the usual cliche. And scrawny. Yeah, and scrawny, which I'm back to already, <laughs> as you can see. Of, uh, you know, he pushed me to a level of masculinity and also a soulfulness. And he's a very spiritually inclined director. He doesn't run lines with his actors. It's about building an atmosphere. So I called up my manager and I said, uh, for the next eight months before we start principal th photography, don't send me anything. I want to commit every fiber of my being to getting this story right. And I went on this pilgrimage, uh, you know, for Saru in a way. I traveled the trains. I in wrote, India? In India. Wow. From Indore to Bhopal, stayed the night, came back. Um, you know, to see the landscape change. Uh, and be a non-Hindi speaker in this land, it's very alienating. And you see on each stop, a different language will come on board. And different food and different smells and the, the landscape's changing. Um, and then, uh, you know, I wrote diaries, went to the orphanage that Saru went to, met Mrs. Sood. And uh, a lot of it was a process of isolation, really. And that was really important for the character because even though he's charismatic and very well adapted to Australia, he's a lone iceberg drifting among this tide of humanity and he's suppressing so much of his history and nostalgia, which all of a sudden there's that moment where he sees the Jellabies and Pandora's boxes opened and food is memories. And if you see the way Luke wrote this script, you could almost taste the sugar in your mouth that moment, you know, uh, it was beautiful. Well, actually, you know, it, it reminds me, I, I was a French major in college and I read Proust's Remembrance of Things yeah. Past. For anyone here who has read this or even heard about it, it's the Madeleine. It's, it's a French cookie called a Madeleine. And when the character, the narrator, bites into it, he is 
overcome with memories of his past because it's always a sensory thing yes. that sets off the involuntary memory. Mm. I mean, voluntary is one thing. I want to remember what happened a week ago. But when you taste something, so in the movie, when that happens, it's like I, I believe that taste can bring back all these memories. And of course, this story is like Proust, mm. remembrance of things past, except that it's been suppressed for 20 some odd years. Completely. Yeah. But, but you conveyed that oh, quite you. beautifully. Um, okay, so you were preparing by buffing up and <laughs> going to the gym, eating and that. You were preparing by traveling through the landscape mm especially in trains. I presume you also prepared for the accent, yes. that kind of train. every day for eight months. Yeah. And now comes the obvious question. Did your preparation include meeting Saru? Did you spend time with him either before shooting or during or after? Well, the most difficult part of this film was the first scene that I ever committed to film was uh, the last scene, the, the, the climax of the movie. That was the first thing I shot. And uh, Garth goes... Uh, as soon as I landed in India, three weeks prior to the shot, he goes, as a little sperm, you've been swimming up to this moment, so don't, uh, I won't use the right word, but don't beep it up. <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, no pressure then. Um, but he, you know, it's very difficult when you haven't built a history with your fellow co-actors, you know. Um, but luckily, me and Priyanka, we really got along. In, it was because we were in the middle of nowhere in India. We'd spend every evening together talking about life and the characters. And then before that shot, the week before that shot, he said, you're not allowed to see each other anymore. So he starved us of this energy. And as you watch it, it's how it really unfolded for me. You know, I'm in this village, and there's this, this house that he comes upon, which is his old home. And I turned to Garth, and I said, you've got to let me go inside you know, this home. I want to feel the walls. I want to feel the door. I want to take the memories from there. And it's just so sad that there's these goats running around and it's just, you know. So we did that and then this woman comes out, a real villager, and they're whispering lines to her and I'm trying to talk to her in English and it's not working. And then the best English speaker in the town, this teacher, comes along and I show him this picture. And he goes, one minute, and he goes off with a picture and I wait for a second. I'm like, all right, let me go and follow him. And I start to follow him, and then I come out into this opening, and the one note he gave me is everything you touch is going to ignite a memory, a nostalgia. You know, the Bourgainvillea, the walls, everything means something to you. And I turn around the corner, and we open up, and we see, I see these three figures in the distance, and as I get closer, it's Priyanka, but with this most incredible makeup. They've aged her. You know, she's, she's lived this life, and we're like two particles colliding, and we get closer. And none of the people around us were planted extras. They were all villagers from that town. And um, she had told two of the women uh, the story of Saru and his mum, as it were real. So she's like, I'm about to meet my son, and I haven't seen him in 25 years. So they completely believed it. And we come in, and the cameras are rolling. Some of them are in there. Some of them are far. And... Uh, it's just this tactility straight away because we can't share the same language. We're holding each other's faces, touching foreheads. And uh, it was such a pure moment because everyone around us, you just felt this single molecule of love. And it was like we were an avatar. I keep saying it, but all these hands started reaching out and <laughs> touching my face and my hair. And it was really, really nourishing. Yeah, really wow. beautiful. 
and from there you go back to then to you go yeah, then we went to Australia and a lot of it was watching Sonny who leads the film for an hour and he's incredible and he Sonny you know it was important to watch them so I could take the smell of the room the the look of everything and pinch those as my real memories because I'm sitting in front of a laptop a, a blank screen for a lot of the film you have to muster some kind of emotion but he's a master again Garth because what he did was he recorded me and Sonny and Priyanka playing in the leaves in that forest that I walked through right at the end and then he played the sound of those leaves back to me in Hobart and all of a sudden I was like oh, there's a memory I can hear her laughing I can hear him and it brings this kind of bittersweet quality to, 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 to finding it on the laptop. And had he already, had Garth shot the sunny sequence? Yeah, in other words, sun, the first hour? The whole hour, hour so. was done, yeah. And you watched that? As much as I could, yeah, as much as I could. The interesting thing is there's no, we didn't need to mimic each other. One of the things that really drew me to the role was that I didn't have to put on an Indian accent. I didn't have to kind of embody the guy that I'd done in Slumdog before. You know, Sonny's doing that. He is this kid who's surviving in this extreme environment, dodging predators at every turn, and he's running for his life. And then I come in, and there's a baptism, as Luke describes it. He comes out of the water, and he's baptized as an Australian. And, uh, you know, he's at one with the nature that the clothes he wears, everything was very relatable to me as a 26-year-old guy. And uh, so they're completely different. He's so well adapted to Tasmania. He goes back there as an alien to India. He's taller than everyone, all that kind of stuff. And I could relate to that going back to India for the first time and discovering it on Slumdog. You know? right. I looked like everyone, but I still felt like a complete UFO you know, in, in, the, in the space. But it's interesting because in Slumdog also, you come in playing an older character, mm. which two children have yeah, incarnated yeah. before. Here, you play Sonny as a young adult. I'll tell you why I was just a little bit surprised, because recently I heard the director of Moonlight, Barry Jenkins, yes. which is a Beautiful very fine movie. new film yeah. in which three actors incarnate this one character, Chiron, as a young boy, as an adolescent, and then as a young man. And Jenkins said that he did not allow any of the three actors to watch footage of the others. Mm. So that's a very different take yeah. on having various actors play one character. Here you had the benefit yes. of watching Sunny. And this kid, I mean, yeah. I gather he, they tested thousands 1, of children. 1,999 children later, Sunny comes in. And he had been found in a school for um, uh, children who, who didn't have opportunity. Yeah. And, and he, he, he comes along and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a real physical demand for a film, to, uh, for a kid to, a, a seven-year-old kid to carry a movie. He was at the time seven or five, I heard. I think he was six or seven. I'm okay. not sorry, I don't quite, he's eight now. Um, <laughs> uh, but he, you know, it, it also, I, I, I like saying this because it's really true, it's, credit goes to the two actors he's in the space with, you know, Priyanka Bose and Abhishek. Because they, they are aware, they know what a boom mic is, they know what you know, the, the, the kind of focus is hitting a mark and they create a very safe environment for Sonny to play in and be free. And Garth would do things like cool cut and keep the camera rolling. And then Sonny's like, and he would lie down <laughs> on Abhishek's shoulder. And that's the moment, that's the moment of a, a younger brother just, you know, 
taking that energy from his older brother and stuff like that. So and and Abhishek, who plays the older brother Gudu. That smile, yeah. I gather it was also his first film. If I think, I, no, he's done some. He, he did before some Indian okay, language sorry. films, yeah. But they, if I if I read this correctly, both of them have recently been cast in a new film with Demi yeah. Moore. With Demi Moore, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I it's actually called have, Love I Sonia. That's it. It's Love called Love Sonia. Sonia. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I'm delighted that yeah. he's, he's going to steal all my roles very soon. <laughs> You still have some time before that's really an issue. Um, and, but just to come back to the one that we didn't really talk about, at which point did you meet the real Saru? So yeah, once we did the India portion, I flew to Hobart, uh, kind of met Sue and John first. And uh, that was really amazing because she, she's a very special human being. And John is this silent strength behind her, you know. And uh, then I met Saru and we had breakfast together. And, you know, I felt like I'd known this guy for eight, year, eight months of my life. I'd just been trying to live as him. So it was amazing just sitting down and uh, we just spoke about the idea, which is really mind-boggling in that every... He's finding his mother from space. Yeah. He's finding a needle in a haystack from space. And he's like, he, we spoke about astral travel. And he goes, I was like, how did you remember? Like, how? Because I remember things kind of, but not really when I was that young. He's like, every night I would go to bed, I would walk those streets. That, as there's a speech in the film that I say to Rooney. He says it very simply. And I would find her, I would smell her, I would tell her I'm okay, I'm sorry, whatever. And every night I would do this routine. And that's how I could hold those memories so fiercely and remember them so vividly. And he's looking at this app, Google Earth had just come out. It's a blurry, pixelated screen. The refresh rates are terrible. But he could gather so much information from that. And, uh, you know, he didn't suffer from PTSD, which is what would happen with a kid who goes through such, you know, horrendous situations. He, the, the amount of love that his Indian mother gave him, he could hold it in such beauty and remember it. So he's a product, product of two loving environments, you know. That's the shades of gray in the movie. And, and that's one of the things that makes the ending. I mean, thank goodness people didn't leave during the credit sequence because to actually see the photos of the real people mm. and to see the reunion yeah. of Saru and, and the introduction of the two mothers, yes. the, the, the love that you don't have to cut one out of your life to love the other one. You get the feeling at the end that somehow they can coexist. And if I understand correctly, that was shot... 60 minutes, yeah. It, it was done before the film. Yes. And Garth Davis Garth happened... Had, Garth had been on the journey with help, helping him reconnect with the mother. He was on the original 60 Minutes show. And uh, so he was the obvious choice to go on and create the movie from this because he was with Su Saru. So what we see at the very end was shot before you began the fiction movie. Yes, yeah. And he happened... Wow, that is pretty amazing. And I mean, this brings in the whole question of Garth Davis, about whom we, we haven't really spoken. Yeah. The only thing that I knew about him was that he had been a very successful director of commercials yeah. and then co-directed yeah. Top of the Lake. Now, I mentioned the newsroom uh, in my introduction, which is by far my favorite television series of the past <laughs> few years. But coming in at number two or three was Top of the Lake, which was co-directed by Jane Campion and Garth Davis. And it was for the Sundance Channel. And I didn't get to see every single episode, 
but I saw enough of them starring Holly Hunter, among others, that I was hooked. Mm. And there was that somehow otherworldly Australian spiritual reality. I don't know if it comes from the landscape, from the yeah. outback, or, or something completely different, but it, it hooked me big time. And I thought, what's Garth Davis going to do next? And boom, I, yeah. I find out about this film. But it was his first fiction feature for the large screen. This man is really going to be a titan in cinema. He, he, God, I've been lucky enough to work with some great directors in Garth. Oh, man, he's so special. He's so special because he has such a curiosity and a love of humanity, so hippie and spiritual. And he, he really... He creates an atmosphere where the actors will just do anything for this man. You know, he had me and Rooney Mara the first time we met pretending to be monkeys. And as you know, but he, he, he really leads with love. It sounds like a cliche, but he does. And it reflects in his work, you know, everything. He'll have us collecting leaves in the forest and he'll save those leaves, you know, and show them to us later. Like, look at the one you picked compared to Sonny's and how similar the veins are on these leaves, <laughs> things like that. And he, he has such a command over the technicality of filmmaking. You see, he always wanted to establish Google Earth as tonally in the film. So you begin the film with Sonny running through these landscapes. From see a very these? high angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, the two big characters in the movie are India and Australia. These two contrasting landscapes. You've got the deep burning desert reds of India and, and Hobart. And when he decides to go outside of his search radius, that moment where he's like, you know what, whatever, I'm just going to go that way. The audience can all of a sudden remember something. Oh, wait a minute, I saw that kid running. It plants a little seed in their mind, and it takes a really clever filmmaker to do that. Not just that, he's obviously a visual storyteller. Yeah. My husband pointed it out to me, I had forgotten this, that the first 20 minutes of the film, yeah. there's almost no dialogue. Yeah, yeah. The entire story is told through cinematic, through audiovisual means, the beautiful soundtrack, of course, but it's the camera sort of always is in the right place to create an emotional space. So, for example, if I first see Sunny, little boy, I mean, uh, excuse me, Saru, yeah. surrounded by those butterflies, mm. I mean, it's such an evocative image that stays yeah. with me for the rest well, Saru, of the Well, Saru, that came from Saru, and he goes... Um, it was funny because I'd see these butterflies and I'd think it was my brother reincarnated coming to visit me. So Garth was like, I need to tie this into the movie, a little ode to, to, to Guru. And actually, now that I think about it, when the Google Earth scene expands and you suddenly see those colored pins, yeah. you know, almost like a visual poem on top of the map, yeah. They could be related to the butterflies. I mean, it's a much more prosaic yeah, image, yeah. but it's, again, that sense of seeing something from above yeah. and not quite being able to explain it, yeah. but it takes it's you... The thing with the film, it's so vast, but yet so suffocatingly intimate at times. He really captured that, you know, beautifully. Yeah. Any actor would die to be shot like that. Greg Frazier, you guys are something. Yeah, to, well, I, I had just know. read... I, there, there's a film festival in Poland. I happen to be very close to the Polish world called Camera Image, and they just announced the grand prize winner. They show the best and the best-looking films from around the world. And every film was in competition for the Golden Frog, I think it's called, yeah. for best cinematography of a new film. And Greg Frazier won for Shooting Lion. Mm. This was like two days ago, I He's think. Special. So, yeah, yeah. You know, it's... Wow. <laughs> I wish he was here. Yeah.
And by the way, I, one of the reviews that I read that I, I just loved, and so I'll share it with you in the audience in case you didn't see it, I think it was Variety, who said that it would have been really interesting to have a complimentary film from the point of view of Google Earth. In other words, of the people who work at Google Earth. And this was Peter DeBruja said, um, say one of the engineers who's turned suicidal after months of coding for the Silicon Valley monolith, only to discover what good he was doing mm. in the world. Yeah. And then he said, or else from the perspective of Saru's birth mother who didn't have Google or even a computer, but spent years searching for her lost son. Wow. And I thought, yeah, you know, the, there, everything is a point of view. This one is clearly Saru's, but this is such a rich story that one could imagine a retelling from a, a different perspective. Mm. Yeah, yeah, completely. The way he applied himself in technology is incredible. I spent, I spent a lot of my career staring at computer screens, playing some sort of nerd or whatever. And, uh, you know, to have an emotional connect with technology, to, to have someone trawling through the ghosts of their past, as you know, that that's a really amazing thing to put those two things together in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, the clip that we showed tonight from the man who knew infinity, it contains that tension between Ramanujan, your character, who does everything in terms of intuition and is a genius, a complete genius, versus the professor Jeremy Irons, who insists upon proof and logic. And I guess it's been sticking in my head while watching Lion tonight. And I'm just wondering, as an actor, because, yeah, obviously you do spend time looking in front of screens. <laughs> For you, is that intuition yeah. even more important than the way an actor would logically break down a script, find the beats, learn mm. the, the physical and mm, linguistic manifestations? I mean, how important is that to you in this? I've never been trained. So there's no logic to my process. You know, it, it all is on intuition and that gut feeling. And, you know, that scene I was telling you backstage, before in the scripts, you know, Matt, had, Matt Brown, the director, had been struggling for 10 years to get a movie made about a, a period film about an Indian mathematician and a grumpy old professor breaking mathematical theorems. It's very difficult to sell. And um, he... <laughs> The, that whole scene was based around them arguing over a theory. And I, I called Matt and I said, I want to do this, but I don't bloody understand any of these mathematical theorems at all, and no one will. And I said, this is a, a human story about a boy who's plucked out of obscurity, put in a very stiff, collared, you know, kind of, and he poses a threat to everything these mathematicians know. He's not rigid, and that's the whole idea behind math mathematics. And it's about a, a, a son looking at his, you know, faulty father and saying, you know, you're not seeing the human in me, the person. So we rewrote that scene. And I added in the scene where Ramanujan gets beaten up, wow. you know. So we could, there's a lot of sitting down in that film. And I was like, we need a moment of physicality. And then he can pull Jeremy's character, J.H. Hardy, up on it. Do you see the bruises on my face? Do you see me as a human being? and not just a thoroughbred horse sitting in front of you churning out these, you know, equations. Wow. So, yeah, it was really cool. And sitting across Jeremy, he gave me a scar voice. I don't know if it's says, how dare you judge me? And I was like, woo! <laughs> Whoa, he's amazing. <laughs> but he's, Jeremy's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we know, we, he's been a guest on this stage three times. Yeah. He may be holding the record at the moment, <laughs> along with one or two others. Um, and, but, but there is that wonderful contrast between the starchy, 
patriarch yeah. who knows, you know, the world of the university, and you, you know, yeah. your character. He taught me a lot for this film, Jeremy, about emotional reserve. For Lion. For Lion, yeah, about holding on, you know, and uh, you know he does that beautifully in 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 the man who knew Infinity. He really holds on, and is a guy who's facing, you know, so much uh, opposition from all the other fellows at the college. But then he's still so abrupt and, and rude to this guy. But behind, he's fighting all these battles for this kid that he's not telling him. And it's just about holding it in, holding it in until the end. Hmm. You know, so I, I, you know, he, he was lovely. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not surprised to hear that. There's a, a title at the very end that says over 80,000... 80, 80, children every year. And that one can go to www.lion, the movie. I mean, is there something that can be done, is it being done, is the movie Lion intended to somehow have also, in addition to the deep aesthetic and human pleasure, some kind of political or uh, sociological end, can, can this phenomenon be improved? It has to, there's like over 11 million children on the streets of India, and uh, it's a staggering, staggering amount of kids. And, you know, a very close friend of mine, Anoki, she works as a humanitarian for a charity. And there was a, a terrible terrorist attack that happened in Bombay in 2008, yeah. where, you know, the last scene where I'm dancing on this train station, VT station, the busiest station in Asia. In Slumdog. Yeah, in Slumdog, sorry. Uh, these, these guys went there and they opened fire with AK-47s, killed so many people. And all of a sudden there's these children whose parents didn't come home at night one day. And they can never be told the brutality of what happened, so they're on the streets. So there's so many reasons to do with caste system, you know, uh, especially for young girls, you know, from the outskirts of India. They're, they're considered a burden on the family because of the dowry they have to pay to get married. It's really, stories like this are so important. You know, Saru's one of the lucky ones. He's one of the lucky ones. And, um, you know, to be able to give someone a second opportunity at life, you know, and you see what a nourishing exchange it is for a parent and a child. What he brings to Nicole's character, you know, she changed Sue. He changed Sue's life. It's 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 wonderful. And uh, that you know, we went to Google with Saru, me and him, to do a talk. And there was a girl that came from Google. True story. I met her, and she came in the room, and she was shaking. And they're like, "We need to introduce you guys." She went on a train with her two sisters. She was the oldest child, same age as around about Sunny in the film. And her mother said, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And she never came back. And she was left in charge of her two younger siblings, this small girl. And uh, she got adopted. And she was telling me this whole story about how her family in America, you know, tried to make her go to these Indian dance classes so she could still hold part of her culture. And she would look at her father alone sitting there in this Indian community, and he would wait for her. And that whole thing, and she was, this movie means so much to me because it's my life, it's my story, and it's helping me kind of talk about my demons that I've suppressed for ages. And there's so many stories like that. But uh, that, that's why it's important. I know I'm going in a big circle here. No, no, no. It's, yeah. Well, your character goes on a big circle, <laughs> and you can go on a big yeah. circle, too, because one of my favorite lines I ever read when I was a grad student was Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, Around every circle, another circle can be drawn. Wow. And I always took that as some sort of profound sense of yeah. perspective. And boy, 
these days and many other days, I always need to remember around yeah, every circle, another circle no, can be drawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you know, I've filmed in India five times now, and it's sad. It's a, the honest truth that there's just so many children there. The only way you can get by, wake up in the morning and go to set, is you become slightly numb to that every traffic stop, there's a kid knocking on your door asking for money. And it's, you know, I just hope that, you know, if it can change a couple lives, that's amazing. Isn't it? For sure. Now, the film we just watched is very much about identity, about home. Yeah. And I do want to ask a little about your own background because I, I think we're all very interested. I gather that your parents are Gujarati Hindu yeah. Indians born in Kenya yeah. who came separately as teenagers to London, met yeah. there. And you were born in London and raised in the... I had an arranged Indian. marriage. My dad took my mum to McDonald's. They shared a happy meal. And that's the truth. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm okay. Sorry. Give you that. There's a flavor. short film. He's a real to be romantic made. man, my dad. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Now, so you were born in London. I am curious. What is the effect on you of shooting in India? Because you did it with Slumdog Millionaire, Best Exotic Marigold, Second Best Exotic Marigold <laughs> Hotel, Lion. You know, you've gone there each time. Uh, in a very different, well, not the two, second and third, yeah, the yeah. same character, which we'll come to in a moment. But what is the effect on you? Because this is obviously part of, I mean, you were raised in the Hindu faith. I could relate to that, because like I said, I suppressed, in London when I grew up, I suppressed a lot of my Indian heritage to fit in. You know, try and not get bullied in the school I went to and just be like everyone else. So that's why this journey meant a lot to me, you know, and going there and experiencing Bombay with Danny Ball just blew my mind. It was that light bulb moment, that uh, this other level of consciousness and all those stereotypes I'd had about what the girls would look like with their oil in their hair and a cow walking by in a bindi. <laughs> it's different. They're all listening to rock and roll, Led Zeppelin, <laughs> torn jeans. You know, the first thing I did when I landed there was audition 15 of the most beautiful women you've ever seen for the lead role in this movie. I'm a 16-year-old kid, and I'm just like, whoa. But I, I, I you know... When you shoot a movie, when you shoot a film in India, there's always three characters in every scene. There's yourself, your co-star, and the city. It's so extreme. And you can't go in with a, a set vision of the scene. The, the last scene of this film is exactly like that. You have to submit yourself to the tide of humanity. Because if you try and put up a wall, it will swallow you up. The heat, there's 100 people looking down the lens. You know, stray dogs will come and sit on all your marks. And it's just craziness. But if you somehow submit to it, you know, it is the most beautiful canvas to ever shoot on, ever like this. Just what we do is to explore what it's like to be human. And it's a city with the, so much humanity, you know, and it's such a, a, everything about it is a juxtaposition, you know. You're sitting in an air-conditioned car and then all of a sudden you, you come out and you're in this crazy, humid, hot environment. There's the rich, the poor. You step out of a five-star hotel. You're surrounded by slums. Everything about it is very confronting. Mm, yeah. But that's, uh, that's very palpable in uh, the, ex the, ex the exotic, ha, huh, great. One of those. Best yeah, yeah, exotic yeah. Marigold Hotel, which I, by the way, I, I really appreciated both <laughs> the first one and the second one, where you have these, you know, feisty but vulnerable <laughs> elderly British <laughs> who have outsourced their retirement. Um, their twilight years are going to be uh, uprooted into India. Uh -huh. And 
the newly restored Marigold Hotel is run by the uh, very eager and blustery yeah. young Sonny. And I heard that that part was originally written for a paunchy, balding man in his 50s, that that was the yeah. character that was first envisioned. Yeah, yeah. How in the world did you... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because the Sonny that you play, who's sometimes fawning and condescending, but always yeah. fascinating to watch and listen to, how did that happen? Yeah, he's a right pain in the ass, Sonny. Uh, I, I um, you know, I finished Slumdog, and it had ignited this passion for acting. And then I looked out, and there was an ocean of nothing good. You know, there was nothing to further dive into or I could sink my teeth into. I felt like I'd just beginning to get the grasp of this whole thing and then there wasn't anything. And that was a beacon of light that popped up. My mum is a carer for the elderly. So I grew up going to the care home, playing you know, dominoes and cards with patients suffering from dementia and all sorts of things. And she still works there, you know. And she, she's just incredible. And I read the script and I immediately connected to it without knowing who else was attached. And uh, my agent said, just read it. And I was like, God, I, I, I want to pitch them an idea because you've got these older salty characters coming in with that very dry British sense of humor but I know creatures in India that will do anything to impress these guys you know and it was I grew up watching Mr. Bean I grew up watching Jim Carrey Faulty Towers <laughs> and you know a couple of drunk uncles are thrown in there too to create this guy called Sonny who is irrepressible you know, and he represents that modern India that's moving so quick and is just an idealistic dream, dreaming quality to them. And uh, it will offset the energy of the film. He can push it along. So I went in and I was like, yeah, I'm going to try this thing, you know. And, you know, welcome to the best and it carried, And then Graham, the producer, all of a sudden started smiling. And originally there was another director that I had to Skype audition with and he stepped off. And, it was finally uh, Oliver Parker. Uh, no, no, that John, oh, then John Madden came on, right. and it's that awful thing where you've got a part, and then you have to go in again and re-audition, because ah, oh, he's too young, he's this. But John was amazing, and he really embraced the hyperactivity that I possessed, and um, <laughs> it was really amazing. Yeah. And and working with, I, I mean, I can't even imagine what it was like for you at the time. Here's your second film, basically your major film, Maggie Smith and Judy Dench. And Bill, Bill Nye, Tom Wilkinson, Ronnie Pickup, Penelope Wilton. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then in the second one, um, where Maggie Smith is the uh, icy, icily wise purveyor of lines such as the reply to how was America, it made death more tempting. Um, <laughs> But the, fil the, fil the film gives the, you like that. The film gives the salutary impression that senior citizens are feisty, sexually active, and I really appreciated the line: "There's no present like the time," which is said at the beginning and at the end of the film. This is basically my way of asking you just a little bit of what it was like to work with these extraordinary British stars. To get all of those guys in one package deal out in. The desert of India in Rajasthan is insane. The way uh, Graham really, the Graham Broadbent, the producer, stood by this project. And, uh, you know, everywhere you look, you know, the first scene I did, I had to introduce them to this big hotel, and he's a showman. You know, everything, the taps are not working, the toilets are not working, the food is giving everyone, like, salmonella. But to him, it's the Taj Mahal <laughs> in his head. And it's that blue sky thinking. And they're all so gracious. 
They're all, they've got such a great sense of humor. Um, I was lucky enough to spend the entire second film working with Maggie. Yeah. And Maggie is a really, really special, special human being. You know, and I was very nervous about it. And in between takes, I'm, I'm slamming Red Bulls and I've got this kind of Tourette's thing where I'll just go, woo! And Maggie's like, <laughs> you know, she used to call me Petal instead of Patel. She, 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 and, 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 and she, she's amazing because uh, she's this mother figure to Sonny. And all once he got to know us all, he started writing the characters around us. So for me, I was this very insecure kid, you know, in a relationship where I never felt worthy. So he wrote this whole second film about a guy who was like, you know, about to get everything swept away from him. Right. And she had to be, there's a line where she goes, self-pity will ruin everything around it, you know, and you just need to pull yourself up, put your shoes on and do this big dance, you know. And it all just, you know, from my big ears, everyone laughing at my big ears and my poppy out nose, it came into the script, all of it. He was injecting these things. So the more you hung, hung around with all, the more he would put our real energies into it. But she's a scene stealer. Yeah. She'll sit there and you think she's, you know, she's just waiting and then she'll just deliver this line so beautifully and then go Did back to... Did you find any polyps uh, up wow. there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. Yep. Okay, now, you mentioned um, that you spend a lot of time looking at a computer and I think it may be not a coincidence that in... The film we just watched, Google Earth, you get to work that technology mm. to get to your aims. In the newsroom, you played a tech-savvy web editor, Neil. Um, I watched Chappie the other night, ah. where you co-star with Hugh Jackman, Sigourney Weaver, and a robot. Um, and there, you are really the genius designer. There's, of course, the man who knew Infinity, um, but, but I'll come back to the technology thing. Did I read correctly that your father is actually an IT consultant, that he works in this area? Yeah, yeah, he does. Okay, and how <laughs> much... Um... I'm terrible at maths. I, I just upgraded from a very old BlackBerry. Um, so the idea of playing one of the greatest mathematicians in the, it's, it's very strange, but yeah, he, he was very happy with it, you know. Okay, because, you know, I, I just suddenly realized that you are a wonderful blend of your parents' gifts, because yeah. obviously you play the technological wizard really well, <laughs> but the notion of the caregiver, I mean, the human element that yeah. comes through in these characters is even more so. But my question is about the newsroom, because Aaron Sorkin is well known for writing so much smart, sharp dialogue, mm. and very often having his actors walking while talking. Yes, and I was just wondering talks. about the experience yeah. of the newsroom for you. Yeah, that was, I originally got sent it and I turned it down because was, it was a nothing tech kind of role. And my agents called me up, all of them on the phone at once, thundering down the blower saying, listen, man, it's Aaron Sorkin, Scott Rudin, you're going to get on that plane to New York and go for the read-through. And I was like, all right, all right, okay, I'll go. So I went and sat down and then all of a sudden Jeff Daniels delivers this stonkingly amazing speech in the first episode about why America is not so great, but it can be again. And I... <laughs> My husband and I watched that episode <laughs> one week ago, and it was a sobering experience. Yeah. And I was just like... And then Sam Waterston starts talking, John Gallagher Jr., Alison Pill, Tom Sadowski, 
uh, all these amazing actors that are way more experienced, way more talented than I am. I'm sitting there having been in a very indulgent ride through Slumdog, and I'm like, God, these guys are bloody amazing. Uh, I'd be stupid to not do this. Um, so I signed it there. And, you know, Aaron started to get to know me. And he started to write a bigger character, a bigger character, until the third season, he really threw me this beautiful bone. And it was, it was amazing. The, the only difficulty I found with television is, you know, with the, especially with the Sorkin scripts, I got eight months to really find this role. With TV, you know, it, you have to read a Sorkin script 30 times before you understand the rhythm, because it's, it's an orchestra. You can never finish a line before someone else jumps on and then another person jumps on. And it's just, it's not about a single speech, but it's about the rhythm of everything. And, you know, you get those scripts a day before filming or two days, and it's a technical feat that he can deliver such amazing, you know, deep material that's so, got so factually amazing. But I, I felt like I could never fully do justice to it, but he was very giving and kind, and it's amazing, you know, to, to be on that. But your character does develop beautifully into what <clears throat> I always considered the smartest person in the room who never said anything until yeah. forced to, to, to yeah, speak yeah. because you're, you were always in the background hearing and realizing, uh-uh, uh-uh, and then coming exactly. forward with something that nobody else had thought of. Thank uh, you. It worked. I have a lot more questions, but we don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm going to ask for the lights to go up slightly so that if you have questions, you raise your hand. I will call on you, and I will repeat the question, and we'll do... Okay, the gentleman right there in the middle. Yes, in the white shirt. What's up, man? Hello. Yep. Uh, but obviously, watching this movie for him, he isn't portrayed as the most loving character, positive character. So, how does he react to something like this? And what does he This is a question about Saru's Australian brother, Mantosh who obviously in the film does not come across all that heroically. Um, has he seen, what, what, what is the reaction of someone like him? Has he seen the film? Yeah, it's very difficult actually, because we shot, I, I believe the scene I got the film was, was a scene I shot with Divian. He's from somewhere very close to London where I grew up and we came into that six hour audition and we were in the room together and it was about Saru being the lucky one. He goes, I had cigarette burns on my arms. You know, that I was in Lilua for a long time. You got out. They did things to me that you didn't understand. And, you know, there's that scene where he steps off on the plane and the two childs, Saru can recognize this kid's been through a really tough time. Yeah. The whole family can, Nicole, David. And um, just as it is from the powers that be that are not myself, that scene was left out because it's such a heavy film. There's all these spikes in emotion, and I think from test screenings. It's a terrible answer, but it's the truth. They had to get him to re reunite with this mother quicker. But Mantosh is doing great. I met him and Sue and David at their home. And, uh, you know, he, you know, it's very difficult to talk about because these people are real and the relationships are still evolving. You know, he's, he's had a lot more trouble adapting than Saru has. But when we met him, he was on top form. He was really happy. And as a unit, the family seemed really good. And he's in a very good place right now, I can say that. Yeah. Great. There was a woman on the aisle, yes? Hi. Hello. Hello. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there are two questions here. Do you have any advice for a young actor who has not yet done anything that is visible? And second, if you were not trained, um, but is this true that your mother, when you were very young, took you to an audition as a child where you were kind of clueless? Yeah. But I'll put this out there straight away. I'm a product of unbelievable luck. Yeah, I am. But I think what will keep me there is hard work and perseverance, you know? And, you know, I'm lucky. My mother saw an audition in a newspaper in a train. She tore it out and dragged me the day before this audition. You know, we live on the outskirts of London. It's a very silly, indulgent dream, and I was very annoyed that she wanted to do this. And uh, she's like, I just want to take you. And uh, we queued outside the National Youth Theatre, and there's all these drama students doing vocal warm-ups and whatnot. I'm in my school uniform with Mrs. Patel, like, ah. And, and uh, I somehow got this role. But uh, you know, right now, it's really, the world's made it a lot easier to put out content, you know? Be seen, make short films. I did a Nokia short film on a Nokia phone for an ad camp campaign. And I know lots of young people now that are getting together with their friends, writing their own stories. You know, there's been times in my career when there's not been the material out there. So you have to create your own. I'm writing my own scripts now. The next film I'm doing, I, I helped exec produce. And it's, you know, sometimes it's about self-generation. A lot of my career has been, God, if I don't take on a certain stereotype, I'm never going to bloody work. So my motto has been sometimes you have to take on the mold in order to break it shift that barometer a bit with each role you do until you can sit here one day and talk about lying, which is like, ah, oh, the evolution. But um, I'd say fiercely protect that dream if, if, if it's what makes you happy. You know, pursuing a job, you're always looking at the clock, but pursuing a career, is com if it completely enthralls you, then just go for it, man. Just go for it. Keep, keep struggling. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, next Did question. Did that make sense? I hope so. I, I, okay. Yes, sir. Uh, Hello. I enjoy the film and I enjoy your comments tonight. Thank you. Uh, but we're going to see the Weinstein brothers in about eight days. On yeah. Stage. <laughs> interviewed also. Yeah. And I wonder what do they contribute to the film and uh, in particular beside money? <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble here. It's a dangerous question. <laughs> Uh, this question is a prequel to next week because the gentleman says that a whiskey. Uh, on, the <laughs> on the 29th, the people I'm going to be interviewing on this stage are indeed Bob and Harvey Weinstein. And the question is, what do they bring, considering they're exec producers on this movie, to the, to the film besides potentially the money? They love filmmaking. And I, I'm privy to this. I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about it. But I, Garth showed me the letter Harvey wrote to him before we even began filming. You know, talking, comparing this in a way to Goodwill Hunting and saying, you know, it's the last time I read a script that moved me this much was that. And he, he was so positive and he was such a, to have that heavyweight force behind you is the wind beneath your wings in movies like this. And he really championed it. He was involved in the casting uh, every step of the way. And then when it comes to getting a film out there and pushing it to the people, they're the smartest at doing it. You know? They work us to the bone as actors, but you know, we're out here pr promoting something we love. And he's great at putting that out there and getting us in rooms like this. It's all down to Harvey and, and Bob. 
And he, they really do love cinema. They really do. And that's one thing I'll say. You sit down with Bubble Harvey and they'll, they'll bring up the most pe- peculiar scenes in the movie um, and say, you know, I really enjoyed you in that. And I'm like, wow, yeah, you really have an acute sense of filmmaking. It's amazing. They've got great taste. Yeah. And a hell of a track record. Yeah. Uh, there's a, somebody all the way in the back. Yes, if you can stand up. Hello. Yeah. British Indian citizen. Sorry. I'm sorry, you said you're a British Indian citizen? No, I'm a Thai Indian citizen. Thai, okay, sorry, Thai. Wow. All together, but I'm just wondering, like, with some sort of Indian in me, like, what would you see in the future? What do you want to do in the future? And it's a question basically about the future, how you see your immediate future, your impact, what it is that you want to do through your acting. Yeah. Uh, It's really interesting because, uh, you know, you look at the African-American struggle in cinema and you've got all these amazing guys like Sidney Poitier and Will Smith and Cuba Gooding Jr. and Denzel, all those, Samuel Jackson, there's so many. Uh, and then, you know, I honestly believe this, that Slumdog completely broke the mold, not because of me, but what it did for people that look like me. You know, there was no real known actors in there. Half, most of the film was in Hindi. Everything about it shouldn't have been the success that it was on paper. And I've been riding the tidal wave to that. I say Danny Ball put me on the map and Garth Davis put me on Google, Google Maps. But, you know, I, I, I really tr- I try not to think too big. And I, it's all about instincts and character. I some, somehow relate to the underdog, the, the outsider. You know, you look at Slumdog or Marigold or whatever. It's a guy who's going through so much adversity to achieve what others deem the impossible. But for me, I would like to be in a space of being colorblind, but also represent something that breathes life into stories for people like me, you know? And that's really important, you know? And uh, I've managed to be able to do that. You know, now slowly my name is being able to add value to projects, green light films like Infinity. Um, The next film I'm doing, I'm exec producing, which is about the Taj attacks in 2008, where the terrorists came in. All right. And um, it's called Hotel Mumbai, and it's got Army Hammer and all these great actors. And uh, Jason Isaacs? Jason Isaacs. Who I think is one of the oh, great actors of our he's time. Incredible he's just in not yet really well he's known. He's really good in this movie. And it's, we've brought in some incredible, massive titans from Bollywood. And then we've got these great big American stars and Goofy Me. And we've created this story about humanity. Because you guys are sitting here. We're sitting in New York City. And... Uh, we're just talking about humanity right now, and that's the point. You know, it, we should be colorblind. It's a story about love. It's a story about unification and diversity. And there is room for stories like this. You know, and that's what I've built a career on. You know, in a way. So I hope I can keep trying to do that if I can. Is that oh, thanks. right to me? <laughs> yes. Hello. Yeah. Beautiful, isn't it? Don't tell Harvey. I said that. Uh, we, she just mentioned Moonlight. Beautiful <laughs> film. So I'm hoping that your films will come up during award season. Yeah. And she says, we, we hope that both Moonlight and Lion will come up a lot during award season. 
I saw Moonlight. I've been doing a lot of roundtables with Mahershala. We've really got to know each other. We're on the flight here to New York together, and we exchanged numbers. Uh, Mahershala Ali, Ali. Oh, yeah. plays um, Juan, who is very important to the first third of Moonlight. Yes, and he's amazing. And we, we connect on a lot of it, because you're sitting at these roundtables, and they ask us a question where they're like, uh, you know, could you do anything else but act? Like, what else would you want to do? And lots of the other actors, amazing performers, were like, yeah, I could. And me and Mahershala looked like, at each other and were like, no. We're just hitting our sweet spot. We're just getting the opportunities now that are meaty and allowing us to explore these spaces. So no bloody way. We want to keep diving. And we looked at him, and we really connected from that. And he's, again, just a great representation. The film's amazing, completely colorblind, genderblind. You know, I shouldn't be plugging it. I'm going to get in trouble, but it's amazing. And he's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And And whether you've seen any other films that really resonate with you. And I'm going to actually turn that question, it doesn't even have to be, in my opinion, about right now, but are there one or two films that have been also very much shaping your own sensibility that you might have seen as yeah. a younger person? I mean, if that's okay, I, I blended them. Yeah, uh, I saw a film recently called Divines, which is incredible. You I'm sorry, which one? It's called Divines. It's a French film. It's like the female Scarface with these two young actresses. It's a female director, uh, Huda, I think ben, Benyama or Benyami. You should check it out. It's incredible. It won like this cinema door at Cannes or something. A camera door, I think, whatever it's called. That's amazing. Amazing film. They use like phone footage as well for part of it. It's so experimentally done, but French cinema is amazing. Um, yeah, what, what shapes me, did yeah, you like, say? Is, do you have one or two favorite films that you've watched more than once, either because yeah. it was an actor's performance that you wanted to almost absorb, yeah. or because the film spoke to you? I was a big fan of Will Smith growing up, and I still am. I queued outside uh, Odie and Leicester Square, and I got a picture of his forehead on my, <laughs> n my tape together Nokia at the time for Hancock, the film. But there's a film he did called Pursuit of Happiness, and uh, I really love that movie because, again, it's about that underdog theme. And there's just a scene where he's in the bathroom, in the public toilet, in the subway station, and he lays out those napkins, and he's trying to sleep with his child, and someone's bashing the door, and he puts his foot on it. And he's just, oh, man, just everything's fraying and falling to pieces, and he's trying to, I want to go in and be hopeful. I want to come out of a film being inspired. And that film hits that spot. Everything about it and his performance, I'm proud of him. <laughs> well, uh, since we're nearing the end of our time, I just want to say we're very proud of you. And uh, in this time of uh, Thanksgiving... Thanks, um, <laughs> Make me cry, man. Two things. No, no, no. First of all, um, just a reminder, tell your friends, this film opens Friday at the Paris Uptown and the Angelica Downtown. And uh, in the spirit of the holiday... I really feel that we must be giving you many thanks, oh. not just for your extremely moving performances, but the quality of human being that you've shared with us tonight. It's rare, and we thank you. Thanks, Carol. You're Thanks for listening. 92Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92yondemand.org.